Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Red Leg Nation Radio. This is episode number 141, the trade deadline spectacular episode of the uh, of the podcast. With me today, our good friend, Jason Linden. How are you today, Jason? I am splendid. Splendid. Excellent. Well, I got to tell you something, Jason. You know, I just got back from a, a, a nice little trip, and uh, I was in an area where I didn't have any cell service for the better part of a week, and uh, I was down in the Bahamas, and on the second day of my trip, I could have random text. It's from Jason Linden. <laughs> I don't know how it got through to my phone. It's the only text I received all week. Uh, somehow I was able to respond. Uh, at least I assume you got the response. And uh, it was the night you were watching Homer, and uh, I guess that was probably Tuesday, maybe. Oh, yeah, the thing where I was like, hey, just breaking news on Twitter. <laughs> right, yeah. 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 I, it, it was such important news. Uh, that you broke, and we'll, let's talk about that here in a second, but uh, that somehow, without any cell service at all, that was the only text that made it through to my phone. So I don't know what kind of voodoo you're working down there in Louisville, but uh, keep it up. Clearly the baseball gods just wanted you to know what was up. Well, it was it was important, actually. That's one of the things I had, had written down to talk about in our News of the Week segment that we'll start out with now. And that's uh, Homer Bailey. He's going to get his first start for the Reds on Sunday. Um and who knows what's going to happen. Uh, I'm not, not sure how much we can draw from what he's done at Louisville, but uh, you had a chance to, to see him pitch in his last outing at Louisville and then break a little news, and I'm going to let you uh, tell us about that breaking news. I didn't realize you were a reporter. I love it. Journalist Jason it, Linden. It's fun. I'm like, I don't know. I've, I've, I've ended up interviewing like four-fifths of the rotation once, once Homer goes in. I think Straley will be the only one I haven't talked to. Um, Australian Finnegan, because Lamb got booted, but everybody else I've talked to. Oh, we got to get you guys together. Apparently. Um, but, um, yeah, I saw Homer pitch on his last rehab start, which was, what was that, Monday? Monday or Tuesday, something like that. And, um, you know, it was, it was really interesting from the perspective of Twitter, I mean, I would say something about how Homer looked pretty good tonight or whatever, and Twitter was just exploding because his numbers weren't that good. He threw, like, 98 pitches in four and a third innings, and he walked four, and yeah, I mean, yeah, he was a little bit wild. He definitely was. But, like, people were like, those numbers stink. He's never even gotten through five innings. And I was sitting there watching it, and, like, the first three hits that he gave up, those are outs in Cincinnati. Like, Zach Kozar and Billy Hamilton get to those balls, like, and it's not even that the defense was especially bad, but like Louisville's defense is it's pretty mediocre and it can it can be pretty ugly. It can get ugly at times. And so it was one of those things where it was like everybody was like, Oh, Homer looks so bad and I'm like, No, he hit ninety seven. He was a little bit wild, but in Cincinnati he probably pitches six innings and gives up like a run or two. Like it's not it's it it wasn't anything even remotely disastrous. Um and when I talked to him afterward, he was like, you know, he agreed with the decision to come out. And he's like, you know, there were some long innings in there. And, and he, did, he didn't blame the defense, but, you know. Um, yeah, what's he going to say? Yeah, when, well, when we talked to Delino uh, DeShields after the game, he was like, you know, the defense could have helped him out a little bit more than they did. And, and he was right. You know, there weren't any plays that were like, oh, wow, they definitely should have made that play. Like, that was horrible. But there were a whole bunch of, like, plays where it was like, they could have made that play, and they didn't make any of and and big league guys often are going to make those plays. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, realistically, you know, Homer threw 98 pitches. He sat right around 94, which is exactly where he should be. Um, and, 
he was a little bit wild, but whatever. Homer's going to be a little bit wild sometimes. And, yeah, I mean, he looked fine. He looked like Homer Bailey pitching a baseball. Like, like if you were to show up in Cincinnati and see him throwing like that, you'd be like, yeah, that's Homer. So, you know, afterward, um, when I talked to him, I asked him if he thought there was anything left for him to do in Louisville, and his one-word response was, leave. Uh, and then he was like, I'm catching a plane tomorrow to, uh, to go to San Francisco. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, that's apparently, you know, apparently things are back on, and I guess they are, so it'll be starting on Sunday. Yes, and that was breaking news. It hadn't been reported anywhere yet, and I'm not sure anyone knew uh, yet uh, outside the organization until uh, until he told you that. So, uh, And he's starting Sunday, so uh, I'm like you. Sounds like, of course, I didn't see the start, but, you know, I consider this an awful lot like spring training for Homer. Yeah. You know, he's got things to work on, and it sounds like he's been working on them, but he's... Uh, his arm seems to be in good shape. Homer can pitch. Let's just hope that he is some semblance of the pitcher he was before he got hurt. Yeah, and, you know, the, the spring training thing, and I, I mean, I wrote about this on Red Leg Nation, but the the time it really dawned on me was, uh, I think it was his third rehab start. He gave up a homer, and he, he gave up quite a few homers while he was rehabbing. And But this, you know, we said something about it. And he was like, yeah, you know, I just decided not to walk anybody today. So, um, you know, if I was going to, like, basically it was like, if I was going to miss, I was going to miss in the strike zone. And uh, so I gave up a homer to a power hitting guy, whatever. He's like, you know, and it was, it was exactly that. It was exactly spring training. Like, I decided not to walk anybody, and if that meant that, you know, some homers got hit, oh, well. <laughs> right, yeah. So, um, he, uh, you know, he and the Reds have a better idea than we do just from looking at the numbers and worrying about how many home runs he's given up. They, they have a better idea what he needs to do to get ready. So we can yeah. start judging him on what he does starting Sunday uh, in the major leagues. Yes. Um, uh, who's going to be playing with Joey Votto or with uh, Joey Votto? Goodness gracious! Well, that is always the question. Who's playing? With Joey Votto? <laughs> That's a good. I was going to. He deserves to be there. What about the rest of? Them? Right, exactly. Yeah, uh, I meant uh, who's going to be playing behind Homer on that date? We do hope Joey Votto will be there as well as he's been hitting. Uh, more on that in a moment. Uh, but Twitter is going nuts today, and the rumors are running uh, just wild about uh, trade deadline. And Jay Bruce, possibly Zach Cozart, getting moved. Rumors of a, a three-team deal, maybe involving the Dodgers and uh, who knows who else—a mystery team uh, in which Jay Bruce and Yasiel Puig are being talked about. Uh, a lot of fun tonight on Twitter, but man, this is nerve-wracking. Yeah, it seems. I mean, I'm I'm staring at Twitter a little bit as we as we do this, and uh, Twitter is just like exploding right now like apparently the Dodgers really 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 want Jay Bruce um and I, I mean I'll be sad to see him go but um the rumor that's been going there that you know initially when it came up I, I was kind of rolling my eyes in a yeah right kind of way but I gather there has started to have been talk of Puig for Bruce what it sounds like to me, just again, based on the rumors that we're seeing, is that the Dodgers really want it to be Puig for Bruce in some fashion. And uh, the Reds may be balking a little bit on that, wanting wanting prospects. Um, yeah. And, and my first thought on that was, oh, come on, Yasiel Puig, he's, you know, I don't know what we've got with him. He, he's sort of fallen completely, uh, gone completely uh, off the cliff the last uh, couple years. Uh, mm-hmm. But on the other hand, yeah, you know, he's t- just 25. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he's not a prospect anymore, but he's 
been a uh, an all-star on the major league level before the age of 25 and he's a guy that still have a couple years of control and I don't know. Um, I could probably talk myself into it, but it seems like a strange move if if, if those it, were the it, two big names involved. It would be a weird move. Like I, I think, kind of like you, I could I could talk myself into it, and I don't think it would take that much work. I kind of just look at it and I'm like, well, where th- there should there should be a little more power here, right? Where's where's the power at? Um, but like, yeah, I don't know. That's it's that's. It's weird. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. That's the only way to describe it, really. I'm afraid, you know. Um, of course, now, let me just go ahead and say this. I'm sort of in the camp where I don't want him to trade Bruce, um, and I said it on Twitter. I, it's completely emotional. I, if I'm if yeah. I'm running the Reds, I probably have, feel like I have to do it, although I still don't know that that's the case. If they are not, if they don't get you know, the right return, what they're looking for, he's still going to have value in the offseason. He's still going to have a uh, you know, full year uh, at a very reasonable price, and um, I don't know. It depends on what kind of offers they're getting, and, and the Reds know that. I don't have any way to know that. So Yeah, I, you know it- – it's one of those things where Twitter, you know, you know how Twitter can be. And it's been, I, I try to insulate myself pretty hard on Twitter. And uh, and still, a lot of what's kind of come through is sort of frustration at the Reds with the trades. And But I look back at, you know, at, at the trades the Reds have made, and I really can't find too much stuff to argue with when they've actually pulled off a trade. So... Well, I, I mean, I have all kinds of issues with the front office, cough, Jose Peraza, cough. Um, but I feel like when it comes to making trades, for now at least, they've got the benefit of the doubt from me. And I kind of feel like if they don't make a deal, it will be because the right deal wasn't there. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, go ahead. Uh, no, I'm, I'm definitely with you on the, like, emotionally speaking, I would love to see them, like, even extend Jay Bruce. Like, you know, cozy up to him and be like, so, you know, four years, maybe five years, what's that going to take? <laughs> let, let, let's, let's open the dialogue. Um, and, you know, the other thing that really frustrates me, too, is the way that people, I don't think, really understand free agent money. That, like, you really only have to be about worth about two wins above replacement to, to garner, like, a $15 million contract. And people act like somebody making 15 million a year should be Mike Trout. And it's like, no, no, like fair market value. Mike Trout is worth like $50 million a year. Oh, easy. Like it's 15 million. Like Mike, Mike Trout wipes off the bottom of his shoes with $15 million. (laughs) He's worth 15 million a month. I mean, yeah. So, you know, it's one of those things where I think because, you know, people look at pre-free agent talent and think, well, look at how cheap this is. And it's like, well, it's it's artificially cheap, right? Like, it's not actually being allowed into the open market. And, of course, if you can find somebody who can provide you that value for half a million bucks a year, of course you do that. But if you can't, then you have to go to the free agent market. And on the free agent market, you know, it's, you're, it's at this point, I think, probably about $7.5 million per win you know, per, per win above yeah. placement. You know, and that's part of my, been that has been part of my argument for how, how the Reds could hang on to, to Bruce. And it's, you know, I'm, I'm trying to stretch to make this argument because I want them to keep Bruce. I admit that, uh, it's, that's emotional, as I said, but I love the guy. He's been a great Red. Um, and, and he's, I tell people, you think he's making a lot of money. He's not compared to the production he provides. Um, 
you know, Jay Bruce is going to make what thirteen million next year, I think. So, yeah, that's the option years. Yeah, thirteen yeah. million. So I mean, uh, he's going to be worth that, unless again he he craters. But I don't see any reason to think he's going to crater. Um, he may not be as good as this year. This may be the high water mark. Yeah, his, I mean, I think I really think the crater that we saw had an awful lot to do with the hurt knee. Oh, absolutely. I think it's well. That's what he said. Uh, he said, you know, a lot of it was the injury the first year. The second year was I just got into a lot of bad habits because of the injury, and just now working my way, working my way out of it. I think there's some truth to that. Well, and people forget, you know, we really saw that. <clears throat> excuse me. We really saw that with Votto, too, when he had almost exactly the same knee injury, where it was really two years before he was normal Votto again. Um, you know, he was Joey Votto, so he was still kind of superhuman, except for that one year. But he, he, wasn't, he wasn't the same, you know. You know, what's, you know what's sad about that, though? If you think about it in those terms, if that really is what it was, we could have been having this Jay Bruce for the last two years. I mean, you know, think about how awesome that would have been. That would have been the Jay Bruce everyone expected. and He'd probably be... Right now, he's, you know, people kind of like him now, but he was, people were really down on him coming into this season. Around. Yeah, I mean, he absolutely had peak years stolen from him, which is really a shame. It's sad. It is. Um, yeah. You know, so, so I, I hope that conversation that you're talking about, I hope they've had it. And you have to think they've had that conversation with his agent about, hey, you know, can, can we make four years work? And I would think Bruce would have to listen to that. I mean, uh, he, he may ultimately decide his better option is to test the free agent market uh, after next year and i can uh, that's reasonable too but if there's any way the reds could get him in some kind of a reasonable and, and there's probably not but if there were any way they could get him for the next four years i think i'd do it i i, I don't know if it's a smart thing to do but i swear that's the first thing i would try to do if i were the reds well and the thing about jay bruce also is that he is very much a known quantity right like you know what you're going to get with jay bruce i mean he's like all players who strike out a lot he's going to fluctuate wildly kind of like from month to month but you know what you're getting with him mostly and with prospects fun as they are you don't ever really know right you know you don't you don't know until you know, and actually, I was just kind of like perusing, and I, I was I was hoping to find something, and I did. I found it, so I'm going to use it now. You know, the people, the person that everybody is really worked up on and worked up about right now is Adam Duvall, right? Yes, let's talk about Adam Duvall. And man, I feel bad because I feel like I just am <laughs> piling on with him. Uh, I but, do too. He's a great story, but it's uh, it's easy to pile on, frankly. But okay, Adam Duvall had a fantastic May. Right. It was good. It was great. Brilliant in, brilliant in May. Um, fun fact. Last July, Jay Bruce was just as good as Adam Duvall was in May. Uh, no one would believe that. No, no one would believe it. But if you go look the numbers up, it's still true. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, and that's why you don't commit to somebody as you're starting wherever because they had a really good 30 games in Major League Baseball, because lots of guys are really awesome for 30 games, and then the league adjusts, and, is, and then you're not so awesome. Anymore. Right. So, you know, back to your point about uh, Jay Bruce being a known quantity. Uh, similarly, uh, we may know what Adam Duvall is, and if they could deal him, get rid of him now if anybody, if there's any takers. Man, I've been on the trade <laughs> Adam Duvall train, as I think you know, forever. I mean, we always like, thought he was a, a 
going to be a pretty good fourth hit, uh, outfielder, you know, a good power bat off the bench, and who may have a couple of years of being an, an adequate starter, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what he, he made an all-star team this year, and it's a great story. But, man, if you could turn him into some real players or a real prospect, man, yeah. I, think, I think you got to do it. I, I, yeah, I think you, you got it exactly right. Adam Wright is like Adam Wright. Where did that even come from? Adam Duvall is uh, he's the perfect – he's like a great bench player because nobody wants to see him coming off the bench to pinch hit. That's scary, right? Because if he runs into one, then the game is different. Um, but I mean, no, and, and he can play left. He can play right. He can play first. He can play third. So he's pretty versatile, but he's not going to hit enough long-term to start. He's no. just, he just isn't. And it sounds like we're criticizing Duvall. We're really not. I mean, I, I love this story. I think the Duvall story has been a great one, but let's be, you know, you got to be realistic, which is maybe what I'm not being when it comes to Jay Bruce. I, maybe I'm not being realistic. Uh, about, uh, I would try to keep him. But if I'm if I'm general manager, to shift back to that for one final comment, I'm going 100% in two different angles, if that's possible. I'm going hard at his agent, trying to see if he'll accept uh, some kind of a four-year deal. I might even go five, but I'd love to get a four-year deal for him if he would agree to it. And still pursuing the trade angles, trying to get the best package of prospects or best prospect that I can get back in return. And uh, then you can, and since you, as you said, you sort of know what his value is, you can evaluate what's he going to be worth to the Reds. You have a pretty good idea. What's he going to be worth to the Reds over the next four years in terms of what you're going to offer? And if he's demanding more than that, well, you know, um, trade him. Yeah. Well, and, you know, what scares me, and this is why I've kind of sort of taken the approach that I have on, on like, Twitter or wherever, what I'm afraid of, and I really want this to not be true, but I, I'm really kind of afraid that it is, is that the Reds understand who Jay Bruce is and what value he is likely to provide, and they don't understand it all who Adam Duvall is and have bought in. And so if, like, if I'm picking one of those two to bet on for the next, say, four to five years, cost regardless, I'm taking Jay Bruce. Whereas... I think the Reds are taking Adam Duvall, and that scares me because I really don't want to know how good Adam Duvall is going to be if he has to be the starting left fielder in 2018. Well, I know if you if you did a poll on Twitter, we sort of hammered on Twitter a little bit tonight, I, everyone would say almost, well, maybe not the people that I follow because I follow smart people, uh, but almost everyone would say, oh, Adam Duvall's a young guy, you know, let's well, let's keep him for the next four years. Rather have him than Jay Bruce. Yeah, and they would be wrong. They would be completely wrong. Besides, like like we said last week, uh, he's only 17 months younger than Jay Bruce. But I, I think there's almost, even just when you consider what they're going to be paid, there's a pretty good chance that uh, Bruce is going to be worth what he's paid more than more than Duvall is. Well, yeah. You know, maybe. Maybe, I guess. Because Duvall's going to be pretty cheap. But Duvall's going to be cheap, but also if you're looking to contend, Duvall is not going to help you. Whereas Jay Bruce might be a little more expensive, but may also be able to help you contend. And a lot of that comes back to something we've talked about before, which is do, are the Reds being serious when they try to sell us on this idea that they're going to be competitive in 2018? If so, Jay Bruce is very likely to still be a, a valuable contributor in 2018. You know, He'll be 31 years old. Yeah. He, he, he can still be a, a major league right fielder on a good team at that age so if you really think you're going to do that and the choices between Duvall and Bruce and in some ways it kind of is 
there, there's a really reasonable argument for making a run at signing Jay Bruce. Yeah, I completely, completely agree with you. But I really hope that uh, you're not right, that they're, <laughs> the, the, the front office. But you're a little scared that I'm right, aren't you? I'm scared. Uh, this, you know, the front office has to be smarter than us. They've got to be, right? Uh, <laughs> they're not going to choose Duvall over Bruce, surely. I, I wish I could say that I believed that. <laughs> and that's sort I, of a I, false choice. I mean, yeah. They could, even if they choose Bruce over Duvall, they may get overwhelmed by an offer and feel like they got to do that anyway. Yeah, uh, and absolutely. And, and I mean, you know, it sounds like that the the Dodgers are trying awfully hard to overwhelm them. Um, but uh, like people are tweeting like this about this Jay Bruce trade, like it's not an if, but a a when. Um, those those same people though that are talking about oh why haven't they traded him yet? They're, they're those same people are going to be disappointed in no matter. Uh, who the return is oh, yeah. in a Jay Bruce trade. I mean, well, that's like the people who think the Reds got fleeced for Cueto. Right. Yeah. And it's like, because Cody Reed's been kind of bad for 40 innings. Exactly. Yeah. No, I think that's a, that's a slam dunk win. Even if no, those guys don't pan out, I think it was a great trade uh, based yeah. on the information at the time. I got no problems with that. And I, and I'm with you on what the front office has done with trades by and large. I think uh, they probably didn't do well in the Chapman trade. I think that you can argue that in the Todd Frazier trade, they got a the, that the Dodgers in that trade got a better package of prospects. Uh, although I, you know, I, I like uh, Jose Peraza, and I think well, Shebler can be to see him actually play at the major. <laughs> yeah, I'm assuming if he ever plays, he's going to be okay. And and Scott Shebler, who's killing the ball in Louisville, I think's got a chance to be mm-hmm. a, a, a maybe a bench guy, but got a chance to be a guy that can contribute to the Reds. He's yeah. 25 now. I'm not expecting a whole lot out of him, but he can he can be a contributor. So I'm not necessarily disappointed in who they got in that deal. But other than those two, you know, by and large, I'm not sure you can make a case that they've not uh, at least won or held their own in every other trade. So I'm really not sure why uh, there's all the, uh, you know, uh, disgust with, with Walt Jockety's trading history. Yeah, I mean, I'm not like, I'm not huge on like prospects and or super knowledgeable in that field, but there definitely has been more than one time where the Reds have made a trade and I've gone and looked at the prospects, and I've been like, wow, they got him? Hey, he looks pretty good. Yeah. Like, yeah, let's hang on to him. I mean, you know, and, and sort of the other end of that stick is like, oh, boy, the Reds have stunk at free agent signings. <laughs> yes. Like, you know, and that's that that's the place where I feel like whatever criticism Jockety gets is, you know, even though he's not technically the GM anymore, is, is pretty well-deserved. But, yeah, with trades, yeah, I got I – got, you got the benefit of the doubt for now. Well, yeah, he's not been perfect in, in his trade history, but he's done awfully well, you know. He's really yeah. gotten pretty good return. I I know there's a lot of – I've got lots of problems with Walt Jockety. I'm not saying that he's perfect, but I often try to remember, especially when it comes to these prospects, as you said, these guys got a lot more information at their disposal mm-hmm. than I do when they're making these decisions. And, yeah. and they have a little bit of a track record. You know, you look at the uh, – uh, return for guys like Matt Latos, uh, you know, and you get Anthony DiScalfani. They got Suarez for uh, Alfredo Simon. Uh, they got uh, the Cueto deal was fantastic as far as I'm concerned. You know, I, I, I give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, you know, I was having a, a conversation um, in at, at Slugger Field where the bats played with some people, and we were talking about how often poor a job the media kind of does at um, 
portraying the way that like major league teams are actually built that major league teams realistically at least with very few exceptions like they don't really draft like players based on tools per se they certainly don't sign players to long-term contracts based on tools it's it's much more advanced than that even the most backward teams have pretty significant analytical departments um you know, and, and sort of along those lines, one of the things I always kind of look for is, like, I'm kind of backtracking a little bit here, but I think it's relevant. Like, we've all seen Jay Bruce's fielding numbers, right? And we know that Jay Bruce's fielding numbers are not good. But here's the thing. Like, a couple of years ago, I wrote a piece for the Hardball Times annual that was looking at sort of Moneyball, like, 10 years after or whatever it was. Um, and... Talking, I, I talked to some sort of stats people, sort of around the league, um, in for major league front offices, and and the ones who talked to me, every one of them said, "I have things I can't tell you about." Like they all have proprietary defensive statistics because they all have access to data that the public doesn't have access to. So you know, w- the defensive stats absolutely have to be taken with a grain of salt. And if you see teams who are all about winning and who are very astute, which, for instance, I would, I would tend to regard the Dodgers as a pretty astute team, then that tells you that, that maybe the numbers that we have are not actual, actually the, the real numbers. So, you know, like you said, the, the front offices have a lot more information than we do. Um, and, and we have a fair bit, a lot more than we did, say, 15 or 20 years ago as the public. But we nearly everything. Oh, not even close. And uh, i got to watch how I say this. I, I really want to be very careful. But I had a conversation with someone uh, that works for the, for the Reds recently. And this person did a very effective job of convincing me that Dick Williams, who's the general manager in waiting, basically, uh, supposedly will take over after this season, that he is very, very wide open when it comes to analytics, that he – uh, he's not one of these guys that came up through baseball prospectus and all that, but he's a guy that believes in the value that uh, that analytics can provide to an organization and that uh, he's very interested in sort of building up that aspect of the Reds' uh, baseball operations team. So I hope that's true. I don't know. Um, I don't know Dick Williams. I've corresponded via email just a very little bit with him, uh, mostly centered around the fact that we're both University of Virginia graduates, the greatest university on <laughs> earth. And um, and so I trust him because of, because he's a, he's a Wahoo uh, like me. But, you know, I, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that's the case. And I always remind myself, like you just said, I always try to remind myself, I don't have as much information as them. We can judge based on what we know. But I think we've always got to add that caveat that we don't know everything about what went into each of these decisions. So that's that's a, that's a good reminder. I'm glad you brought that up. It's a very good reminder as we approach the trade deadline. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I'm thrilled to hear that that there is perhaps a little bit of noise that that Dick Williams isn't isn't is open minded about analytics because whole. Well, you think of you know he's he's the son of an owner, and he it seems sort of like the Reds doing things the way the Reds used to do them. But so I was very I hope I hope it's true, and I was very uh, heartened to hear that. 
We've spent a little bit more time on the trade deadline than I planned, but there was a rumor earlier today about Zach Cozart, possibly the Mariners making a, a push for Zach Cozart, maybe for yeah. Cozart and Bruce. Cozart and Bruce to the Mariners. That would be interesting to see what that would bring. It would be, and they've got some interesting prospects, uh, I'm told. I'm like you. I, I, you know, I, I'm not Doug Gray. I don't follow the minor leagues as, as much as maybe I should. But, um, you know, I don't know. My, my idea, my sort of, uh, I guess, uh, theory speculation that I posited on the uh, on the podcast last week, of course, was that the Reds were waiting until the trade deadline to make a decision on this Brandon Phillips thing. And I don't want to get back into Brandon Phillips this week, but if Cozart leaves, if he's traded away, probably they can plug in Parazza at shortstop and they don't have to make Brandon Phillips upset. Yeah. We'll see. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, anything else you want to say about the trade deadline before we move on? No, I don't think so. I think we pretty well beat that into the ground. And I think if the Reds do make any significant deals specifically, specifically easy for me to say involving jay bruce i think we're going to try to have a sort of special edition uh, podcast when and if it happens to talk about jay bruce so uh, you guys can look forward to that let's move on to one other thing that i really think we need to talk about because it's just it's something that you talk about every single day as you get up and have your cup of coffee it's become a thing i think and i and i love it i absolutely love it so go ahead Joey Votto is good at He's baseball. He's so good. He's so good. He's so good. <laughs> I, uh, I I pulled up a couple of uh, things here that I saw that I wanted to to mention. People that tweeted out just because every time somebody tweets something about Votto, I just like why? It's amazing. Are we watching this guy? Uh, Buster Olney from ESPN tweeted out since the All Star break. Joey Votto, five hundred batting average, twenty for forty, thirteen walks, seven strikeouts. 15 runs, six extra base hits. Um, someone else uh, posted, who was, oh, baseballreference.com. He's two days away from being the 11th player since 1913. The 11th player since 1913 to have a 550 on base percentage in July, which blows my mind. But then you pointed out something in response to that. Yes, I, I pointed out that last July he had an on-base percentage of 549. So he's going to average uh, over a 550 on-base percentage in consecutive Julys if he can get past these next two days. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's insane. And only it's, only 10 other players since 1913 have ever done that. He's, I mean, people just, people literally do not understand how good Joey Votto is. Like the thing that blew my mind when I was looking at it, because it's really easy to lose track for me, at least of sort of the different eras of, of baseball. Right. And you look at like the leaderboards and, and it's easy to forget that the, the historical leaderboards are largely heavily tilted toward players from sort of the first half of baseball history. Right. Well, if you go since 1950, the only player since 1950 who has gotten on ba- who debuted since 1950 who has gotten on base more often than Joey Votto is Barry Bonds. He was good. He was good. Yeah. He's the only player who gets on base more than who got on base more than Joey Votto gets on base. That's insane. Like, there's there's so many of those little nuggets that just blow my mind. And like people don't understand, Joey Votto is the best hitter who has ever played for the Cincinnati Reds. Say that again. Joey Votto is the best hitter who has ever played for the Cincinnati Reds. He just is. 
That's just how it is. If you want to have a discussion, we can talk about Frank Robinson and Joe Morgan, and that's a discussion. But numbers-wise, Joey Votto is the best. As of right now. We'll see how the rest yes. of his career goes. But you've And the reason the conversation involves Robinson and Morgan is because they didn't have their decline faces with the Reds. Exactly, exactly. And, it's, and Votto probably will, and so we'll see how that ends yeah. up. But, uh, but either way, his peak, I mean, he's just... He, He's amazing. He had a bad uh, month and a half at the beginning of this year, and everybody thought, oh, you know, Votto, he's wasted money. I'm so sick of hearing that. Well, I mean, it went on just long enough that I think even the diehards of us were like, what's going on here? Like, yeah. is he hurt? You know, I, I totally had the, like, did he tweak something kind of kind of thoughts. But, you know. I mock people when they're always like, is is it too early to get worried? Because I'm like, it's baseball. Why, why would you worry? But I was a little worried. Yeah, I mean it was pretty brutal, and but then like, just I mean let me let me let me take half a second here and just pull up his total number since June first because that really I've, June is when he really seemed to turn it on. I've got him right here, forty six games. Yeah, three fifty nine batting average, five oh two on base percentage, five ninety six slugging percentage. That will get it done. <laughs> Nine home runs, ten doubles. I mean, come on. Yeah, you know, and 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 just in July, the twenty games of July, oh yeah, four fifteen batting average, since people love batting average, five fifty one on base percentage, six sixty two slugging percentage. Are you kidding me? I mean, that's just that doesn't happen. Gosh, what no, if what what if he'd been just average in April and May? What if he had just been average? He'd be the MVP right now. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, even if, like, I think his numbers for May actually, like, graded out, even though his batting average was way down, he walked enough that I think his overall numbers graded out as a little bit above average for May. His OPS was 818 in May. I mean, you yeah. Know. Yeah, but his, his, his April really is what it was. His April was abysmal. Um, yeah, and then I don't know, whatever. But there were like three articles. I remember they came out within literally within two days. Red Leg Nation had one, and Fangraphs had one, and Red Reporter had one. And they all basically said the same thing, which was, yeah, this isn't going to keep up. Joey Votto's good. <laughs> like, you know, it was like he's hitting the ball really hard. He's striking out more than he struck out before, which is weird. But there's no reason to panic about Joey Votto because it's Joey Votto. Yeah. And then, sure enough, there was no reason to panic about Joey Votto. Right. Well, his peripherals did look good, but, you know, we'd see, and that's the danger of judging things based upon the eye test, but, you know, we'd see him, they were hammering him inside, and he had a couple of ugly, more than a couple, but he had some ugly swings, and we're like, oh, gosh, what's going on here? But the peripherals looked good, and he was hitting the ball hard, and my goodness, he's just turned into, and, you know, and we and we say, well, he's been good for the last month and a half, month, two months, but... You know, can he keep it up for the rest of the season? Well, he did last year. <laughs> he had yeah. one of the best second halves, maybe the best second half in the history of this franchise last year. Yeah, so. and I mean, you totally get into the sample size thing, and it's like, you know, if you were to line up Joey Votto's normal months, it's like, which one of these doesn't belong? The answer would be April of this year. Exactly. Like, that's regressing to the mean for Joey Votto means regressing to being 50% better than everybody else in baseball. <laughs> that's not bad uh, so so Joey Votto we love him uh, he's hopefully he can stay healthy he's a Hall of Famer with a Cincinnati Reds uh, wishbone C on his cap 
uh, someday if he stays healthy. I think it's – I don't see any reason to believe that he won't be. It's hard to project mm-hmm. those things, but he's just he's yeah, amazing. I, I think he needs three or four good, more good years. And, you know, if basically if he can hold off the decline until he's 35 or 36, then, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think he's a Hall of Famer. Wow. So I've been saying this probably for the last four years, but – more longer than that, actually, probably we're going on five or six years now. But you you need to just enjoy watching Joey Votto every day. You don't realize, as Reds fans, that what we're seeing day to day is something special. It's something that we really have not seen uh, as Reds fans in our lifetimes. And so you need to enjoy it now because you're going to miss it when it's gone. And here, before we move on, just just one more quick Joey Votto fun fact while I'm staring at numbers. His current on base percentage is 4.15, which is second in the National League. Um, the only other players he's, he's led the league four times in a row previously. Um, if he leads it for the fifth time, there are only like four or five players who've ever done that. But anyway, his 415 on base percentage is only the, um, the sixth highest total of his career. (laughs) And, And that includes that miserable April. And it's still almost a hundred points higher than anyone else on the Reds team. Yeah. I love Joey Votto. Me too. (laughs) I can't get enough of talking about Joey Votto. We're going to have an all Joey Votto podcast one of these days. Just me and you just talking about Joey Votto. And no one will listen to it, but I tell you, we'll have fun. We will have a good time. (laughs) We will. All right. But let's move on because everyone else is sick of Joey Votto. No, no one's sick of Joey Votto. But I want to talk really quickly, and I don't want to spend a whole lot of time discussing this because we don't know a whole lot about this. But I think it's a really fun story, an interesting story. Uh, that was in the news this week involving the Reds. There's this guy, T.J. Friedel. He's a center fielder for the University of Nevada. Red shirt sophomore. Um, college uh, college center fielder that uh, playing with a, a Team USA collegiate national team. And by all accounts, a pretty good player. Well, the Reds just, the uh, Major League Baseball just had a draft. And evidently no one, including T.J. Friedel, realized that he was actually draft eligible he was a redshirt sophomore and i think all it would have taken for anyone to figure out that he was eligible for the draft because you've got to be three years after your high school graduation to be eligible for the draft and so i don't know how he slipped through the cracks seemed like you just have to click a link on his on the website where he was the university of Nevada website where he was listed as a sophomore to see that he actually redshirted but evidently according to rumor friedel himself didn't know he was eligible um he didn't get drafted and so the Reds were one of the first ones to pick up on this, made him an offer, and it looks like they're about to sign him to a free agent. Uh, they have about $700,000 worth of their pool yeah. money, their bonus money left over from the draft, and they're going to use that to sign this guy to a contract. And he's, according to what the reports were, if he had been draft eligible, which, well, which he was, but if everyone had realized he would have been maybe a, a sandwich pick, between the first and second rounds, or, or a second round pick possibly. So the Reds are basically getting an extra first or second round pick here with this guy. And we, and we sort of, you know, hammer the Reds for the bad decisions they make sometimes. This seems to me like just, it's it, it blows my mind. I, it's, yeah, I mean, you know, the Reds up. are slated then to, to what have what, like three out of the top 50 prospects from the draft? Yes, including a guy that we both love, their number one pick, uh, Nick Senzel, who's doing yeah. amazing. But this seems like it should be a bigger story than it is. The Reds have beaten the game here in some ways. Yeah, I know. I that like like 
like you said, like I don't know a ton about him or anything, but that that story totally came across my my view, and I was like, oh hey, look at that, that's fun. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is fun. It's something you don't see uh, see every day. And and who knows about him? He's got uh, here, here's the the scouting report plus bat speed, loose strong wrists that whip the bat through the zone, and good hand eye coordination. Well, make of that what you will, but. I'd rather him be in the Reds minor league system than anyone else's. So kudos to the uh, Red scouting team and and the guys that got that done. Well, I assume it's done. It's not officially announced yeah. yet, but it looks like it's done. That's that's fantastic. And it's a guy might have been a first round pick next year um, as a as a college junior. So yeah, that's. I mean, that's just it's just cool. It is, it is just cool. All right, let's move on to the topic of the day, and, and we sort of. Probably should have made the trade deadline the topic of the day, but uh, you and I try as much as we can to be positive, and it's difficult these days, but sometimes. But the topic of the day, is it time to print playoff tickets yet, Jason Linden? Um, are we printing 2017 playoff tickets? Because then maybe. <laughs> oh, you've been making that case for a while now that the Reds can be competitive next year. Uh, but how about this year? You know, the Reds have won three straight, uh, excuse me, four straight series. Yeah, so eight and four since the break. Man, that'll get it done, eight and four. You know, and, yeah. and yeah, they beat Milwaukee two out of three, and then they beat Atlanta two out of three, and then they beat Arizona two out of three. But, hey, then they beat the Giants two out of three, the Giants in an even year, which means they're probably going to win the World Series. Probably. Though I will also say one of the things that the people get worked up about at least I remember them getting worked up about this when the Reds were good, that I think is one of the most, I think it's it's batting average with runners in scoring position level useless, is teams' records against other teams with a record that is greater than 500. Because I remember people got really, one of the recent Reds teams, I guess, did kind of poorly against those, and people got really worked up about it for some reason. And I went and started looking into it, and I realized that, like, there are only ever one or two teams, maybe three a year, that do better than 500 against teams with winning records. Everybody piles on the losing teams. Yeah, there's a reason why those teams are above 500. Nobody does very well against them, even yeah. the good teams. Right, even the good teams typically kind of hover right around 500. They sort of play each other to a stalemate. So, like, yeah, I mean, cool, the Reds are winning baseball. I, I, like, I like when the Reds win at baseball. <laughs> and it's fun. It's more fun, but and I guess we can argue this. But you said on the last time we uh, last podcast we had together that you think the Reds could be a 500 team in the second half. And now we don't think they're going to eight and four. You know, we don't think they're going to win twice as many as they lose the rest of the way. But my opinion is this is partly you know playing against bad teams maybe, and it's partly small sample size I guess, but. I think there's also an element, and, and tell me if you if you agree, of the fact this is actually a significantly better te- team, or at least a l- little bit better team than the uh, craptacular Reds of the first half. A lot of things have – it's a different team, and, and some things are going right now. Oh, it is significantly better. I mean, especially, especially the pitching staff, which I talked about last time. But, like, I mean, it just – there's just no resemblance. Like, the – yeah, no, the pitching staff is way better, way, way better, and especially that bullpen. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we're talking about a bullpen. It was just the first half, obviously, a, a, a historically bad 
bullpen. But man, you start to look at you got guys like Rizel Iglesias, and it's very interesting how Brian Price is using him right now, a couple innings at a time. And yeah, um, I think Steve Mancuso uh, from Red Leg Nation, I think he posted that if if they were to use him the way they've used him since he came back, he would probably get around 115 innings a year, and that's sort of a interesting middle ground if he eventually his shoulder is not strong enough to be a starter that they could get yeah. some value out of him out of the bullpen. I think it's great. And he's been unbelievable. I mean, you know, what it really comes down to is that when the Reds have a lead in the late innings, it's not nearly so scary anymore because there's Michael Lorenzen and there's Iglesias and there's, you know, even Tony Singrani and like Blake Wood, who both have been totally solid this year. Like that's not as terrifying as when it was like, Who's down there? Oh, well, um, right. you know, there's... Steve Delabar and Dion Diaz and Drew Hayes and A.J. Morris. Yeah. Lane Thompson. Pick pick your reliever with an ERA over seven. Like, right, let's exactly. throw him out there. Um, well, hear me hear me out on this one, okay? Now, this, okay. This, is, this is a uh, bold statement here, but I want you to hear me out and then tell me how crazy I am. Razel Iglesias. Michael Lorenzen, Tony Singrani, Nasty Boys 2.0. Mm, yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm not going to go that far. You know, you know, actually, you know what I would sub in there and agree with you? Switch um, Singrani with Brandon Finnegan, who I th- suspect may eventually land in the bullpen, and I'm with you. Well, I th- have the opinion that Finnegan's going to end up sticking in the in the rotation. Um, so I'm not going to put him there in my nasty boys uh, <laughs> triumvirate uh, for the new generation. But, yeah, they, and, and I'm hoping that Iglesias can be a starter as well. But if not... Oh, man, I would love to see Iglesias as a starter. Oh, he's, um, he's the most talented pitcher on this staff, in my opinion. I Yeah, I completely agree. And, like, and I, just, I would I would love that. Love it, love it, love it. Um, yeah. Just a question whether or not his shoulder is going to be able to hold up to starting. I, I hope the Reds don't go the, the Chapman route and never really try him again in the rotation. But I, I think they will. I, I, I'm choosing to be optimistic here on that point. It's it's interesting because I think they want to at least try Lorenzen again as a starter too. And he they brought him back, you know, coming back from the injury um as a you're just going to relieve for us for the rest of the year so i feel like the um the competition to be in the rotation could be interesting in a fun way next year instead of interesting in a wait it's spring and not halloween really kind of way that it was this year well you're right we've got the guys like straley finnegan uh de sclafani cody reed who are starting right now um throw John Lamb maybe into that mix if he thinks he can get back into the mix uh, starting next year in the spring. But then you add Iglesias, you add Michael Lorenzen, and you add Amir Garrett to that mix. That's going to be a fun spring and to watch. You haven't even said Robert Stevenson. And Robert Stevenson, who was the number 16 pitching prospect or number 16 prospect in all of baseball just a couple of years ago. So, uh, who I'm concerned about his uh, control. But yeah, all those guys are going to be competing for a starting spot. That's probably nine... 10 good starters that uh, are possibly good starters that are going to be fighting for five spots. Man, that's that's going to be fun. It goes back to what you said about how if things sort of fall right, the Reds could be somewhat competitive next year. Yeah, I think I I don't think honestly things really have to fall that right for the Reds to be 500 next year. I think 
which I think, I honestly, I think that 500 might get you second place in the central next year. Um, yeah. But like, I think things just have to not go actively badly for the Reds to be right around 500 next year. And I think if things break well, they could, could legit be competitive. Well, I worry about, uh, Duvall, Shebler, Hamilton in the outfield next year, and that's not going to be a competitive oh. team. I don't know why that would happen. I mean, with, with Jesse Winker down there, I know some people are down on Winker because he hasn't shown much power this year, but, like, he gets on base. Please, God, just call up somebody besides Joey Votto who can get on base more than never. Yeah, 2018, you could have Votto, Winker, and uh, Nick Senzel in the starting lineup, all of whom get on base. And by that time, Billy Hamilton will probably have about a 400 on base percentage because he's a comic book superhero. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, maybe not, but maybe not that no. high, but, um, yeah, that'd be good to have three guys to get on base. You're right about Winker. Well, but- what if, what if the Reds could have those three guys? And what if those three guys, I mean, Winker gets on base. At, I think he's at like around 380 in Louisville. Let's say he gets called up and he gets, he's getting on at 360. And let's say Senzel gets on base at 360. So you got like 360, 364, 20 at the top of your lineup. Tell me you're not scoring runs. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Billy Hamilton at 320, hopefully by that point, he'll be 27. Uh, and 320 for Billy Hamilton is like 360 for anybody else because of what he does when he gets on base. That's my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I actually kind of agree with that. I think I think Billy Hamilton counts more. He does. He's actually a lot more likely to score when he gets on base. Yeah, best base runner in the in the league by far the last two years. But he just has trouble getting on base sometimes. But mm-hmm. um, actually, let me. Here we go. You know, I'm I'm the Billy ha- Billy Hamilton fanboy. That's that's sort of been my my role in life for the last few weeks. I, I, I happened to go back because I've been, as I noted, out of the country, and I happened to notice one of your old tweets uh, from a couple of days ago earlier today. And can you remember what it was that you what you posted about Billy Hamilton? Yeah, it was that Hamilton had um, he had roughly two seasons worth of of plate appearances, pretty much exactly, and he generated like seven point eight wins above replacement according to Fangraphs, which makes him basically a four win player every year, which is really good. It's really good, and yet if you ask the average Reds fan, they're going to be like, oh, he's exciting, but the guy can't hit." And yeah, you know, he's not he's not a all you know all star hitter, but man, it, he's. <laughs> I love the guy. I don't know. I just yeah. he's just twenty five, and I'm I'm getting on board the Billy Hamilton uh, train. Uh, I think I think if if defensive numbers are anywhere near correct, Billy Hamilton is generally speaking underrated by the by the baseball watching populace. And that's a big if because who knows what to make of the defensive numbers? But yeah, I, you're right, and he certainly passes the eye test. I mean, he is. You know, when I went back, I wanted to see because he just seems so good, and he is. Andrew Jones kind of level good in center field, young Andrew Jones um, level right. good in center field right now, which is really something. He doesn't have that bat. Well, oh, you know, boy, do I wish he did. But yeah, he's he's you know sort of all world in center field, and as long as that continues to be the case, he can start. Yeah, I mean the guy. Well, uh, I've beaten the Billy Hamilton uh, drum. I've beaten it to death. I just think he's underrated. I think he's a valuable member of this team, and he's just 25, and so there's a chance he's going to get even better. His on-base percentage is 300, and I'll be honest, I'll take that given everything else he provides. But Yeah, he just needs to bat eighth or ninth, not first. Right. No, I, I definitely agree with that. I, I can't argue with that. I think if he can get into the 320 range, uh, he can hit first and uh, not kill the Reds. But 
uh, at 300, even with all the other things he brings to the table. Man, put him eighth, and this he's he's a plus player. So, but you know, you look at this team, and we're talking. We talked about the starting pitching and the and the and the bullpen have gotten better. You know, Discafani's back, and now we got these other guys in the bullpen we just talked about. But uh, you know, Votto's killing the ball at this point. We still have Bruce, and Bruce had a little bit of a dip, but not one of his dips like we're used to, and he's mm-hmm. just still killing the ball. Um, Duvall is what he is. Uh, Suarez is starting to hit the swing the bat a little bit better. Cozart has really sort of held his value a little bit. He's not hitting as he was early in the year. He's held his value. Uh, Tucker Barnhart, you know, he's better than I thought he'd be. Yeah, you know, Tucker Barnhart. Can we talk about him for a second? Yeah, I'm, I'm all about talking about Tucker because Tucker, uh, Tucker's been on Red Lake Nation Radio a couple times. I don't know if you remember or not, but I like I my thing because of Adam Duvall because I started diving into it. I, I've gotten this year really obsessed with like plate discipline, um, and and that's been kind of ongoing for a while for me. Several years ago, um, Carson Sestouli at Fangraphs did a thing on where he looked at like the traditional tools, right? And what he found was that more than any of the traditional tools, plate discipline, like strike zone control, actually predicted major league success and there have been been some good studies on this and anyway i was looking into stuff and 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 i found this article old article on beyond the box score and whatever blah 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 i was looking at stuff and so i was looking through all the players who are getting significant playing time for the reds and you know tucker barnhart actually have really good strike zone control in the minor leagues as much as i don't i and i don't think anybody else will you know like he was ever going to be good enough to really have a a significant role in the major leagues. The peripherals were there. They've kind of always been there. He doesn't strike out very much and he walks a lot. And that has at least to some extent transferred to the major leagues and it makes him a serviceable baseball player. There's just no power whatsoever, but he'll probably get on base enough as a catcher to not be, you know, to be fine. He'll be adequate. That's sort of a Ryan Hannigan type yeah uh because you know barnhart and again he's only 25 as well uh and he may have to be until some of these uh, guys the reds have drafted the last couple years make it to the big leagues they've drafted some catchers uh he may have to be the guy with with miserocco who knows where what's going on with miserocco so you know barnhart's a a local kid from indiana group as a reds fan and right after he was drafted uh he we used to have this thing at red lake nation we what do we call that the uh spotlight player uh, for the for minor league guys, and he was one of our spotlight players, and he would come onto the podcast and uh, and talk to us a little bit. And he wrote a couple of uh, articles even for for Red Leg Nation back in the day. And did he really? Yeah, yeah. You need to go back in the archives and look for those. Um, right after I think it was his first year in the in, in in professional baseball, he wrote a couple. And so we were always rooting for Tucker Barnhart. He's been very kind to us, but I'm not sure I ever expected him to be any kind of a even a decent offensive contributor he he won a, uh, the minor league gold glove one year at catcher you know his de- defense has been his uh calling card for so long but yeah if he can get on base and and, I, and you're right if you go back and look at it he does have a decent command of the strike zone and and he's showing that this year if he could get on base at a decent clip given the defense which he's made some sort of strange mistakes this year that we didn't expect from him but uh but if we if he plays defense as we expect him to play at catcher, I think you could probably handle him as your starter. He's not—he's not, he's not going to be Buster Posey, 
but no, he's not like, I mean, every team has to have some places where they're just kind of okay. And Tucker Barnhart is okay. Like he's not, he doesn't seem at least like he's going to embarrass you um, at, at catcher. And, you know, here's a weird, a weird thing for you. Tucker Barnhart is two and a half years younger than Devin Mesoraco, right? He only needs about 500 plate appearances to catch Devin Mesoraco. That's sad. That's, yeah. That's sad because of what it means about what Mesoraco has been able to do about standing on the field. Yeah. Uh, well, what about this? Speaking of Mesoraco, we talked about the potential outfield. What about this outfield for 2017? Winker, Hamilton, Mesoraco. I don't know. Well, I mean, if if uh, I'll take that over other options. Yeah, I guess. Um, you know, the Reds have, I think, kind of a... Uh, they have an outfield prospect system right now where I feel like there's somebody down there who could do it, who could, who could, who could be that third outfielder after Hamilton and Winker. Darned if I know which one it is. There are about <laughs> half a dozen guys where it's like, I'm sure one of these guys is a major league player. I have no idea which one. Yeah. You know? Uh, yeah. There are, there are several guys, but for my money, let's uh, sign Jay Bruce to a four year deal. We'll have Winker, Hamilton, Bruce, and we'll have Duvall and Shebler as big power bats off the yeah. bench. Uh, I can live with it, that. I mean, it is so weird though because they've—I mean—they've still got Philip Irvin down there, who we don't hear about much. Right. They've got Shebler, um, and Irvin they, was what a second-round pick. Yeah, they've got Steve Selsky has been hitting pretty well. Kyle Waldrop has hit pretty well in the minor leagues. You know, Tyler Holt hasn't done much for Cincinnati this year, but he has solid history. And it's just like, well, it's, surely somebody there can can do it. You know that there's somebody who can. You just don't know who. Yeah, and they've sort of got to answer that question if they're going to be competitive anytime soon. But there are some names that, you know, I don't know. Maybe somebody, maybe somebody ends up uh, grabbing that. I look at a guy. <laughs> we got a 22 year old guy who's played outfield for the uh, major league team uh, 11 times. He's played infield 13 times. So maybe Jose Peraza is your future left or right fielder. What do you think? I don't think Jose Peraza will ever hit enough to play left or right field. That's where he's and playing I, for your 2016 Reds, Jason. I am a, I am a Jose Peraza booster. Um, but he's a middle infielder. Yeah, he's a middle infielder. And he's, I think, a good middle infielder. But he's not He's not a corner outfielder. Oh, Lord, no. Yeah, I mean, I think he's got some of those problems with plate discipline that we've talked about. But as a middle infielder with a good glove... He's a guy in this current offensive environment that could be a valuable player for this team. Yeah, he'll. I think. I think Jose Peraza will hit enough to play like shortstop or second. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. So if they ever let him play, we'll see. Maybe yeah. by the next time we podcast, uh, he'll be he'll be playing. But I'm not going to hold my breath. Start or two. <laughs> yeah, one or two. Um, so anyway, you know, some, some of the, there's some positive signs on the offensive side. Lots of positive signs with the pitching staff. This good play by the Reds, I don't expect them again to go 8-4 and four every 12 games the rest of the way, but this sort of better than uh, expected play, it's not that surprising. This is a, it is a better team. We've gotten some players back and some players playing like we expected them to. The, the Reds team are going to be a little bit more fun to watch than they were in that miserable first half. Yeah, I mean, this team, we've, we've moved past that part now, right? Like, it's, it's, it's really, it really is not the same team. Um, 
And we're not saying that it's you know literally uh, the best team. They I mean, haven't transformed as weird as it sounds to say this into the Cubs, but <laughs> oh gosh, but they're not they're not the Cubs of yore either. Right. Yeah. So I, I think there are reasons to watch, and, and a lot of these young guys are give us plenty of reasons to to be excited and to enjoy this uh, second half of the season. So. Uh, the first half was awful. It was one of the worst first halves that I can remember enduring. But that may be, here's my hope, that may be the low water mark. That may be the, the dip, the bottom of the valley uh, in this rebuild process was the first yeah. half of this year. I think you're right. I think it is. I think, I mean, it, it really, really can't get worse. Like, it just... <laughs> Oh, I hope you're right, Jason. <laughs> it just I just don't think it can can it it can't possibly. I mean, they're not they're not the they're not the 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 expansion Mets. Like you realize we're trying to talk ourselves into this that that it can't get worse. It's really sad. Uh, but it can't. You're it, it it really can't, can it? No, I don't. Think so. <laughs> I don't think so. I really either. don't. Like I mean, Ugh. That team was running Alfredo Simon out there every five oh, days. Gosh, and they were on a pace to have the worst winning percentage in the history of this team, or one of the top, two worst uh, ever. No, that that can't. They can't do that again. No, they're better. It's all up from here, or at least it's not down anymore. That's all I'm asking for at this point. So, anything else you think we need to uh, to hammer on here? This uh, wonderful episode number one forty one of the podcast. Jason, um, I don't think so. I think we're pretty. I think we've we've covered all of our bases, and I've been watching uh, Twitter. And Jay Bruce has not been traded yet, and is still in the lineup. So, if he does get traded, it will come after we finish with this. Exactly. I've been refreshing and refreshing. So it looks like not traded just yet. Uh, hopefully, from from my point of view, hopefully when you list by the time you listen to this, he will not have been traded at that point either. So. Uh, you know, this is a Red Leg Nation radio podcast. Really do appreciate you downloading and listening. I know that you got a lot of things you can do with your time, and, and the fact that you downloaded and listened to us rambling on about the Reds really means a lot to me. We're going to try to uh, be back every week with another new episode. You can find us at uh, redlegnationradio.com. You can go to Red Leg Nation, obviously, redlegnation.com, every single day to find uh, intelligent discussion. We try to have thoughtful discussion about the Reds, Every single day of the week, uh, you can go to iTunes and subscribe to Red Leg Nation Radio. Also, we have a link there at the website to subscribe no matter what your podcast catching device is. Hope you'll subscribe and hope if you, if you do go through iTunes that you'll go and leave us a, a review, leave us a rating, and it helps us uh, get exposed to new people. Tell your friends about us. As I always say, though, if, if you like us, tell people about us. If you don't like us, just keep your mouth shut. Follow uh, Jason Linden at Jason Linden on Twitter. Follow me here uh, at Dotson C, D-O-T-S-O-N-C, and follow Red Leg Nation at Red Leg Nation. Jason, appreciate you joining us, buddy. Anytime. Absolutely. We'll have you on very, very soon. For Jason Linden, this is Chad Dotson heading back to the Bahamas. So long, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>